Season 4 of Street Fighter V is on the horizon. How should Capcom go about changing the game this time around? And on that note, are you sure what you're asking for is what you really want? We discuss the delicate art of fighting game balance and why it's so much harder than you'd think. Plus, the 2018 Capcom Cup bracket is starting to take shape, and while Japan has by far and away the strongest presence, their time as the top fighting game dogs very well may be numbered. Also, I reveal what I think is the sexiest thing you can do in Street Fighter V and how you can use it to level up your game, all on this episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. Alright, welcome back to the Event Hubs podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me, as always, is John Velociraptor Guerrero. We are otherwise known as the two Johns in the community, uh, especially if you go and look at our uh, iTunes reviews and such. Yeah, how many times did the people refer to you as John with an H and refer to me as John yeah. without an H? Uh, just... As a John, that's a big yeah. deal, guys, and uh, and and get it right. No, but it's been awesome seeing the the responses. Um, people have been leaving us reviews for the podcast. We're used to the reviews that we get via the Event Hub's comment section on everything that we write about or talk about. So, um, without getting into too much deal, it was definitely a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I was very happy with the the reviews that people put up there because you you tend to run into a lot of passive aggressive. Uh, you guys are good, but you're really not that good and you should go kill yourself. You know, it, <laughs> it gets a little, you get a little apprehensive going through reviews and whatnot, but actually it was, it was really refreshing and nice. And, and everyone who left a review, it was like, it was great to see, like, even if you had constructive feedback, it, people kept it constructive and positive and I was very happy. And, and so I, I just kind of want to shout out everyone who left a review, but also announce our winner here that is uh, flying bison 90. So please go back and edit your review on iTunes with either your event hubs or Twitter username, and we'll contact you right away and get your prize set up. And uh, of course, your Razor Panthera fight stick is, uh, is your prize now. So next up, we're going to get into the balance patch update kind of announcement stuff for Season 4 of Street Fighter V. We're getting very close now to Capcom Cup, and actually uh, ne this next weekend is another Red Bull tournament, the North American Finals, where Capcom has traditionally teased a character or so. And going back over their history, uh, the first character they teased was Akuma, and I, I forget the exact circumstances there, but I think they had like a trailer, and I think Ono said, you know, it's maybe it's not Akuma, you know, maybe it's something else, and it's going to be... <laughs> that was yeah. just goofy Ono stuff, but yeah, they had they had an Akuma-related kanji up on the, the sides of the stage, as I remember, and that might have been interchangeable, I, I don't recall, but it was definitely up when the announcement happened, and, and what it was was just a little teaser trailer of of like a, the end of the demon playing out the demon the, the the move raging demon and then it was like akuma's back so it was very zoomed in you didn't see him completely but like it was freaking akuma and then yes akuma, ono was like well we didn't say akuma because he's ono but but yeah it was very much an, an obvious akuma tease. yeah going back through ono's tweets and stories that we've done about him uh people call him trono and they they refer to him in different ways and you can actually see where he flat out lies in some instances, like where he's he's nowhere near the truth. Like, you know, there's, you know, dancing around stuff and whatnot. And there's, yeah, and he just was flat out lying on a number of occasions. The Akuma one being kind of one of them just misleading to mislead. Uh, but moving right along, we also had the last year we had Sakura 
And how that came in mm-hmm. was they did a trailer for a Capcom Cup of, of that year. And then at the very end, they had Cherry Blossoms basically over the Capcom Cup logo. And then they dropped Cherry Blossoms, uh, what is known as Sakura in uh, Japanese, from the ceiling and all that. So we're kind of expecting something of that vein. Uh, I'm personally hoping for some tarot cards to kind of, you know, be strewn about. Or I don't know if those are safe to drop on people's heads. You don't want to get like big paper cuts or whatever. I don't know how to go about that. But, you know, tarot cards being basically rose, which from Excur. We we believe that it's going to be her some kind of double queen statement, some kind of tarot card stuff. It's still not a hundred percent by any means, but we're getting really close to, to knowing stuff like for sure. Yes, and if they follow suit, one of the the common threads that's gone through both of the previous reveals were that these were very identifiable Street Fighter mainstays. Akuma and Sakura, these were returning characters that have been around for a long time that had. You know, things about them that if you could just put out cherry blossoms and people would go Sakura, like that's how familiar of characters these were. Not necessarily going to be the case for sure, but if they do, it's going to be something like I would personally expect a character that is uh, very much that that has been around in Street Fighter for a while that has a calling card, no pun Mm. intended. And um, that they can that they can use to hint at the character without fully just revealing them if they're following in suit um, from the last two years. And so what happened last year is we didn't get any character confirmations beyond that until Capcom Cup. And that was December 10th. And then we got the full reveals of all the season three characters, which is something we we'd harped on Capcom before previously and said to them, look, if we're going to be buying a DLC you know, season pass and spending 30 bucks on this, we need to know everyone who's in it from the get-go. And they followed through. And so we're kind of expecting you know, this next week a teaser, some kind of you know, allusion to something we're, we're going to see. And then at Capcom Cup, which is you know, in December, uh, basically the whole lineup kind of revealed and the, you know, any kind of major plans. And there are some rumors here on the internets of maybe some meta changes in terms of, you know, maybe we'll be seeing some new V reversals. Maybe we'll be seeing some new, you know, changes to V triggers again. Uh, Capcom traditionally has altered the game at least a little bit with with each major iteration in terms of some kind of fundamental change in there. And uh, again, going back to history here, we got our season two patch notes on December 19th, 2016. And then season three patch notes came out a bit later. After all, you know, the arcade edition was announced, but on January 9th, uh, 2018. So it's there's this whole, you know, little window here of the next like two to three months is going to be basically jam packed with gigantic reveals for Street Fighter V. Everyone should be very happy, you know, get energetic, you know, get some life going in. And then, of course, we have Smash Ultimate coming out in December as well. Uh, and actually, that, that kind of, you know, segues into my next point here is that the fighting game community is very lively right now. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, and, and I'm mainly going to evidence that by going over to the sales of the games. And we recently ran a couple stories here where Dragon Ball Fighters had gotten up to 3.5 million copies. And it actually jumped a million copies over an eight-month period, uh, pretty much starting around March of this year. It was at 2.5, and then until very recently, it jumped up to 3.5. And that's just phenomenal. And then uh, Tekken 7 is reportedly at 3 million copies. Uh, Street Fighter V is at 2.2. And this is a vanilla release of the game. I'm not 100% sure how they're counting like arcade edition versus, you know, vanilla Street Fighter V, what they're doing there. But still, the game's at 2.2 million copies right now. Uh, Marvel Infinite actually jumped up a whole nother 100,000 copies. It's now at 1.2 million. And I'm just like sitting back and surveying the landscape and going, wow, 
they're actually like this is a good time for fighting games. We we went through Marvel Infinite and everyone's kind of like, are we going to go through another Dark Ages here? Are we we're, we're having some issues again? Um, but these people, uh, these people, people in general are buying fighting games kind of in droves again, and it's wonderful to see for our community and just uh, kind of the embrace that's happening. And a lot of these games are very hardcore. You know, they're not catered necessarily to a casual audience. You know, you look at the Tekken Seven, our Soul Calibur Six moves list for about two seconds and you go okay that's more than i could possibly comprehend yeah i I don't even know if i spent my entire rest of my life looking over these moves list if i could actually master all these moves and like recall them all at once because you've got like 100 or 200 or 300 in some cases uh move listings and it's just it's insanity yet people are still picking up these games and playing them and and it's just wonderful to see well, so my reaction to that is a little bit different in seeing those numbers. Um, it is forward progress, and that's good. But you said specifically Street Fighter V went from 2.1 mil to 2.2, and that's good. And then um, Marvel went from, what was it, 1.1 to 1.2? 1.1 to 1.2, yes. Okay. And so it's like they, they passed the next benchmark. It wouldn't have even been a whole, you know, a full maybe 100,000 or so. But we know that they weren't quite at... 1.2 or 2.2 and they made it to that benchmark and, that, and that's good like it's positive growth but um at the same time i don't like i see that and i think well good but it's not like you know another you know 500,000 and in, in, or, or a million or, or things like that and i go yeah I'll, I'll take it i'll take it it's a victory but i don't want to get too far ahead of myself and say that we're suddenly like at least for those two games now thriving where we weren't or we've you know ascended to another level um, I'll take it with a little bit of caution. Uh, good, but but I'm not gonna you know go yelling in the streets about it personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. So John, you're saying that uh, I gave you a hundred thousand dollars, and you're complaining about it not being five hundred thousand dollars. I'm saying right? that it's not it's not indicative <laughs> of some like new movement necessarily, or some right. something to it's 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 a gain, and that's good. But I'm not gonna go start you know partying in the streets about it. Right. It's indicative of a nice positive thing for our community that multiple fighting games now are are selling in the multiple millions and people continue to pick them up. Uh, More so, I think the Bandai Namco sales, I think, are are a very strong indicator of where our Mm -hmm. fighting game community is at. Uh, But I don't think the Capcom stuff can be undersold considering how dreadful Street Fighter V's launch was and kind of what we came from. A a bit of a rising from the ashes, a little bit of a Dark Phoenix, you know, type. (laughs) Get out of here. Yeah, I could not but uh, speaking of Capcom, though, I will mention that they continue to invest very heavily in the esports movement that they're doing. And they recently launched a Rage, like Street Fighter V League in Japan. And they have three levels of it where they have a hardcore and intermediate, I guess, and then like beginner level. And I assume, yeah, well, actually, they state outright that you need a Japanese esports license to play in the like upper league. So you have to basically be a professional to be in there. And it's just the very, you know, start of this right now. Uh, they're they're just getting it off the ground, but it should be another wonderful way to watch you know top end talent compete against each other. I think it's going to be isolated to just Japan. Maybe they'll bring in out uh, people from outside areas or not, whatnot. But uh, it's it's great to see Capcom continuing to invest very very heavily in everything going on here. Uh, there's been no mention of this being part of the Pro Tour. It sounds like it's something almost kind of just for Japan only, which is fine. Uh, a, Again, the more resources we're seeing dumped into esports and growing our scene, I think the better. Some people are against that, but I'm I'm very happy about it. Mm-hmm. And next up, we also have, of all things, esports stuff opening at Walmart. 
And <laughs> this is the, um, uh, what's the name of the group again? Like their name is escaping me off the top of my head. Do you, do you remember? Uh, you mean the esports arena? Esports Arena, of course, yeah, like really difficult name. Add Add Arena onto esports. <laughs> anyway, they are they're opening up locations in Walmart. Uh, and to me, like this is like the damn coolest thing ever. And yes, yeah, I get very hyped over this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but but uh, it's okay. Hey, you know, uh, I've I've got to you know wait for my wife to go shopping, or I've got to go do something like that. I can go play around with League of Legends, or I can go do this, or I can watch some stuff and and, and be entertained. You know? Are do you, you think that if you went to Walmart with your wife, uh, and I don't know your wife at all, but I'm just saying right. in more general sense, if I went with my girlfriend. And uh, and I said, hey, babe, you go do the shopping. I'm going to go play video games while you do that, that it would fly at all. Like maybe you have an awesome wife and maybe I have an awesome girlfriend. I haven't been in the situation. If you're listening yeah. to this, I love you, honey. But <laughs> I, I will say that I, I don't think it's going to be a majority in there of of married or dating guys that are just letting their wives shop. It depends on the, the arrangements that you make. See, you haven't gotten quite into the negotiation phase of, of the relationship. Of the meta. Like yeah. Heavy <laughs> negotiations. Like, okay, well, why don't you go shop for a new top and I'll go play some fighting games over here in the eSports Center for 20 minutes, you know? And, and this is, the, you know, the deals that you have to make back and forth as you get, you know, further and further along. Where, you know, you, you stop... Um, you stop. You both stop bending over backwards to help out the other person, like in every situation that happens, and you, you know, life becomes a negotiation, as they say. Uh, oh, I'm but, looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you do, yeah, you get into it. But anyway, so, the, but the state of retail in general, uh, like the the Sears that that's here, the Kmart that is here, they've both closed down. There's a bunch of other yeah, retailers. GGs, yeah. And these companies need to kind of fight to stay relevant. And I'm not going to say, you know, well, eSports is going to prop them up and become a, this, you know, gazillion you know, dollar business. But you go into these places and you see football games on, you see sport games on, uh, sports games on in general uh, on the TVs when you go back there. It's not, you know, out of the realm of, of, of plausibility that you would see a bunch of eSports stuff up there sooner rather than later. And just kind of the ability to sit back and watch it for a little while uh, to, you know, buy eSports products. Again, that's one of the main things that Walmart's doing here. And it's very win-win if you ask me. They're taking PC sales uh, that, you know, the eSports arena that they work with, they have a special, you know, PC they've built and uh, they're selling it in Walmart. So it's like, hey, do you like this? Well, you can buy a PC like, you know, two aisles over and, you know, go grab it and take it home with you. You know, mm-hmm. you can do this stuff at home. It's it's a really good prospect there. Uh, it's not just investing in esports to invest in it. It's here's a way of tying it in and starting to build towards something. I mean, Walmart's it, the Akuma's demon flip, EX demon flip of, of supermarkets now, right? Because you can go there and you can you can get stuff for your home, your car, your your kitchen. You can get your eyes checked out. You can get your hair cut. You can get some McDonald's or Subway or whatever's there. Uh, it, it's your one-stop shop. And now you can go play video games while your wife gets a new top. What can't you do at Walmart, man? Yeah, well, there you go. And uh, so I, I think it's a great thing because, I again, I grew up in arcades and arcades were in shopping malls. That's where you went. And mm-hmm. they've basically gone the way of the Dodo, as everyone knows. And now it's kind of a way of that resurfacing, but with a modern twist, which I've spoken about many times before. Arcades should never come back. I know 
that's horrible. I literally want to go to Japan to experience arcades again because uh, it's one of the few last places on earth you can go do that uh, and still get that, you know, that experience again like you had before. But there's a reason they've gone away. And this is kind of like the new spin on it. I, that's probably putting way too much, you know, hype on what this actually is. It's but- worth comparing the two, though. It's And I like that you did that because I haven't thought about it in those terms yet. But for everyone, you know, we recently heard, you know, Mike Watson, the owner of Super Arcade, kind of take issue with esports. And, and with, um, you know, you can see where he's coming from in certain avenues. But the idea that arcades are not going to come back as they were, but perhaps something of that is going to be reborn and usable here in 2018 and beyond with the kind of technology and the way that video games work nowadays. Um, that is interesting to me, and it's, it's going to be really exciting to see where that goes. Another thing that had come up on recent times is Waluigi versus a piranha plant. And oh uh, that's something you had mentioned to me. And I, I, why don't you give our readers a little bit of background here on what that is? All right. Well, let me let me preface this by saying that I don't really play Smash. I played as a kid, you know, whatever on, you know, on my street, I was pretty good, but I never really got into it. I don't, I'm not really invested into which characters come out, but I will say that Waluigi has become you know, more or less one of, like, you have Mario and Luigi, and then you brought in Wario, which is, like, the antithesis to Mario, and then, of course, you bring in Waluigi, the antithesis to Luigi, and it's, like, these four kind of core members of, a, of the Mario group, like, the good and then, like, the dark link, you know, the shadows, and that's that's really cool. And he came back in, like, the early 2000s, maybe it was the year 2000, where he popped in in Mario Tennis, and has since been in every Mario sports game, he's been part of Mario Kart, Mario Party, all that stuff, and... For whatever reason, never a true part of the Smash roster. He pops up as assist trophies and whatnot. Um, but then you have like, um, who is it? Uh, the other, the other, uh, is it Daisy? The other princess that popped up, I think at the same yeah. time in the same game as Waluigi. And I think she's part of the game now. But Waluigi is hilariously not part of the game yet. And again, I don't really care. But I think it is something of, of not a travesty, but it's just funny that Nintendo has chosen to exclude this character. And then when they reveal the end of the of the initial Smash roster, plus the fact that they're going to bring in DLC, and uh, is it PD Piranha or is it just it's just Piranha Plant because PD is I think something else. I think it's part of his final Smash is part of the game. And this is just a foot soldier kind of bad guy in Mario that's usually almost always stationary. And they chose to make this character, just the piranha plant that comes out of a pipe, you know, just on a timer, and that you very easily get over. And, you know, and before Waluigi, who's who's now very much been part of the franchise. He's been at the table for a long time. And it's become almost a meme. You know, right. and, and I actually made a, an article in jest for those of you that, that didn't pick up on it. And those of you that haven't read it, I just wanted to run down my quick list of five characters that should be in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate before Waluigi because mm-hmm. it's hilarious. Um, and I'll run that, run down that really quick. First one, number five is Shu Goomba, the Goomba from Mario, which, you know, if you're going to have a piranha oh, plant, you might as right. well have the Goomba. Right. Um, and that pops up in World 5 uh, Level 3. And uh, he's just a Goomba that's in a shoe. And then for his alternate colors, you could have him be in like a stiletto and a high heel and a Yeezy from Kanye. 
And uh, and it's funny, you know, because again, he'll be in here, but but Waluigi won't be. Number four is Epona from Legend of Zelda. I think she mm-hmm. first popped up in Ocarina of Time. She's just a horse, and she's great. We all fell in love with her, especially because she let us run around Hyrule Field a lot faster than we could before. But again, a better choice than Waluigi. Number three is a lava pit from Mario with the Potaboo, which are the fireballs that come out. You just move around as a lava pit. If your opponent's standing you, they take damage. You can also shoot fireballs at them. I haven't decided whether or not you'd actually have hurt boxes or how you would fight a lava pit. Um, but, you know, that, that's a thing too. Also better than Waluigi. Number two, Missing No, the glitch from the original Pokemon. I don't know how it would work either, but still better than Waluigi. And number one every single form of Goku that's ever existed. <laughs> so I, I went on Twitter after you posted this and someone had posted in the thread that, you know, where we linked it up at, like, I'm blocking you event hubs, like, <laughs> permanently. And I went and looked on there just to see, like, you know, if he'd actually blocked us and he hadn't. Like, it was just an empty threat, but still. <laughs> yeah, they were just joking with us because yeah, it's a joke he, and like, I, I love that these lists, like, piss people off to, to that degree. They're like, you know what? I, of all the things I could have reacted to, you know, like your your guys' opinion on Street Fighter Five, or if Rose should be in there, or you know, the fact that Rashid is dumb or whatever, it's like no, it's a list about Smash Brothers about characters you'd like to see in there, and that just that 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 tore it for me. Like you're done, you know. I hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I'm, also a note about the Goku's. Every single one of them needs to be their individual character that costs five bucks or whatever the, oh, the standard DLC character price. And you don't release Waluigi until you've released all of them. And by then it's 2025 and no one plays Ultimate anymore. They're on to the next game. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. That's a tough one to follow, but I'll just I'll mention that. Uh, the Sakurai memes that you guys have been posting on the front page have been cracking me up. And, and what the community, what the Smash community does with those memes is incredible. Uh, the, the, just the angles they come up with, like, even one of them is, like, Sakurai, like, blinking. And just the expression he has on his face where he's like, I asked you guys not to ask me for anything more, and you did. Now you get the piranha plant. So, you know, <laughs> just, I give you everything and yeah. you, you're upset about something. Here's yeah. a piranha plant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the, the Smash community is gold. They are literally just follow those people that the meme creators on, on Twitter, you will, you will never not stop smiling when those come up. It, it, they are so much fun and it's why we've been posting them. Big shout outs there. But, but yeah. Good times. You know, I'm kind of upset that we started this and you didn't ask me how I was doing. You know, I don't really care anymore. Uh, we've been together for so long, and now it's a negotiation. And if you want to go shopping for your top at Walmart while I go play some games, you can go Oh, do my that. gosh. <laughs> okay, fine. You know what? I don't even want to share with you how I'm doing. I don't even care. <laughs> but actually, no, let me, because I don't want to get a divorce already. How, how are you doing, John? How, how is life going for <laughs> this you? This dynamic has changed drastically <laughs> over, I think, the last 10 seconds or so. I'm actually doing exceptionally well. Thank you for asking. Um, and, and the reason for that is, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Street Fighter V is such a volatile game. But I think that at least those of you that play this game will be able to appreciate that sometimes your mood for the next, you know, 15 minutes to the next you know week or so depending on how long it is before you play the game again is based on how you did recently and yes. I, for whatever reason I, i'd like to think that it's because i've been leveling up um i've been doing exceptionally well and beating um players that i don't normally beat and and seeing like an evolution of the game you know progress as i think of this and change my 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 approach to this and then my opponent upgrades and changes and and we have this back and forth and then no matter who wins at the end you're like that was a good match i've been having that left and right lately and i want to maybe save this for towards the end but i also discovered what i am talking or what i'm going to be calling 
the sexiest thing you can do in Street Fighter V right now. So we'll, we'll get to that later, but that's just something I wanted to share, maybe for more of like the leveling up mailbag, getting to diamond part of the, uh, the podcast. But I've been having a very good time. I know I'm a little bit bipolar about this. I'm either like really up on a high or really like this game sucks. But right now I'm up on a high and I just wanted to share that with everybody. Right. And that in the radio business is called a tease. And we've been studying our stats and a bunch of people turn us off like right away after they hear us talking for a short period of time. <laughs> and so we're, we're teasing you guys now to, to make sure you actually stay into the end of the pod. So hopefully, you know, you, you do that. But anyway, uh, so speaking of Street Fighter V, one of the things that, that came up here is the infamous take the throw. And there was a, a commentator that was, you know, talking about that being basically propaganda. And it was during Southeast Asia Major. Uh, I'm trying to remember the players involved. Uh, I think it was, I'm pulling it up here just in the background. It was... Uh, Sako and Fujimura. I mean, you know, just two of the best players around right now. And and Fujimura just kept throwing Sako over and over again. It was like six like throws. And it wasn't just a throw loop. It wasn't, you know, necessarily pressure. It was like Sako just was going to take the throw. And, and they're like, don't take the throw. Like, don't do it. Like, it, it's, it's, it's propaganda. Like, it, it's, you know, it, it's so funny how dominant the throw game has. Mm, let me scale that back a little bit. How much better the throw game is in Street Fighter V. And it's one of the things I wanted to get into. And I'm like, well, why is that? Like, why have throws suddenly become such a more dominant style of play where in Street Fighter IV they just weren't? And where one of the places I wanted to start was, was damage. I'm like, well, like, the damage in Street Fighter V, it's all, it's all higher, right? Like, uh, like, what would you actually estimate the damage differences from throws from Street Fighter IV to Street Fighter V? Do you think they're the same? Do you think they're worse, better damage-wise? You know, I haven't. I, I know that Rufus had an exceptionally painful throw, and I think they nerfed it a little bit. Um, this is obviously Street Fighter Four. Uh, it, it may be that one is more damaging over the other, but I think the threat of damage is um, is very scary in Five. And I don't even know. I, I wouldn't even make the argument that there is more damage that <laughs> that comes from combos in five than there is in four. Four had FADCs, and you could really hurt someone. You don't like the the difference maker is not the crush counter. So, um, but it does feel like getting hit in five is a lot more scary than getting hit in four was. Yes, and I look back at all the frame data and compared all the characters that are in four and five just to see. And about the average of the range here is about 120 is low-ish uh, for throws in Street Fighter 4, and then the high end is 140. And mm. but they're pretty much like forward and back throws are all about the same. Like you've got some that are that are more damaging and some are, that are less. Uh, just kind of you know character dependent. Uh, Zangief is one exception to this rule in terms of uh, throw damage. He has 160 damage on his on throw, but. They're pretty much all around there. So I'm like, okay, well, Street Fighter V has to be more because I just feel so much more threatened by them. And I went through there, and the range is 120 to about 140 with almost every character in the game. I'm like, holy crap. And now, the one exception here is I will say that back throws do, on average, about 10 to, in some extreme cases, like 20 more damage than forward throws. And But a back throw is a traditionally in Street Fighter V an end to the Okazemi pressure. You can't usually get much off of it. Unless you're throwing the opponent into the corner, uh, or you have a you know a great character, it's probably like Akuma or Rashid that like gets like the full Oki pressure off a of back and throw. And V trigger, yeah, he gets uh, uh, he can throw course. a loop you. Yeah, yeah there. Oh god. Uh, but anyway, it's it's at least few and farther between, and it, so it wasn't the damage, and, and so I'm like, wow, that that kind of blew my mind. I just assume you know Street Fighter Five, everyone talks about the damage of the game. That's where it's got to be. But uh, the next thing I went to is option selects. 
And the the simple fact that you could negate most throw kind of setups with an option select in Street Fighter 4 made them much less deadly. And, and the fact that, you know, you would throw out a, a crouching light kick and in some t- cases be able to actually hit confirm off of that when you did a an option select there would negate a lot of the throw pressure in the game. And that kind of became the thing that I went to. I'm like, well, I again, you know, Street Fighter V has the crush counters. It has, you know, the heavy damage combos, the Oki pressure after, you know, almost every character's got good Oki pressure after you knock someone down. It's not just that in a vacuum, but option selects are kind of where I ended up at. And I was curious, you know, do you think I'm full of garbage there? Or do you think that's a pretty heavy factor in why uh, why throws are so much more deadly this time around? Option select is one of the first thing that pops up into my mind, and I think that's very accurate and correct. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> let me for for those that are that have only played five or that more specifically haven't played four and aren't familiar with. I mean, you might even know what an option select is, but the throw tech option select was incredibly prominent in four. And so I'd like Mm -hmm. to lay out exactly what that does and what that looks like and how amazing it was um, for those that might not know, because you kind of need to know that in order to appreciate this fully. And what it was, was when you were crouching, um, you would press, you would, while crouching, just press the input for throw, which is both jab and light kick, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when you did that in Street Fighter four, what would happen was you would get a light kick if nothing like if you just if you're crouching and you press those buttons your character would do a light kick okay but now if you're crouching and you press those buttons and your opponent's trying to throw you you will also get a defense against throws so while you're doing that what that looks like is you wake up and you and you throw tech with that with that option select so it's called a crouch tech um, if your opponent does nothing you get to kick them low it's usually a low too right because you're doing a crouching short if they try to throw you, you tech the throw. So you're covering multiple options at once. It was amazing. Now, there are counters to it, right? And that would become very prominent to, to use those kind of counters, like delaying something and, and hitting them as a, as a frame trap. But mm-hmm. that was, you would do that a million times around in Street Fighter 4. It was very baked into the meta. Um, and, and as such, throws were not that common in the game, um, especially compared to 5, because you were guarding against that while at the same time also potentially attacking your opponent. So that's why you're seeing shimmies so much more often. I think that's also part of why overheads work so much more in Street Fighter V is because this is more of a commitment-based game. This game has gotten rid of, of a lot of those things that cover more than one option. So if you're blocking, you're blocking, and you're not teching the throw, and you're not throwing out a button. But in 4, and probably in other games, you could cover more options at once. So yes, that's a huge part of it. Um, Another part would be... Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I wanted to take people a little bit back with the option select and just mention that when this became prominent, like, this was possible in Street Fighter 3 as well because it had the same, you know, input system. And, and just to add to it, you're actually holding down back as well when you input the uh, the throw command, light punch and light kick. And so if the opponent times their attack to before where you've hit the button, you're still blocking. And it covers a lot of options without having to think about anything. And... So when people figured out this was like what you need to do in Street Fighter 4, uh, we displayed this prominently on event hubs. I remember doing like five or six articles about this option select and just how it works and what to do with it. Uh, and it just became so intrinsically tied to the game. I, I literally would, would do that as my bread and butter combo. I would do an option select as it that would catch, you know, uh, if the person... Uh, tried to backdash, uh, Rose would sweep and, mm-hmm. and catch him. Like it, people literally would program like all their bread and butter combos, like you know, uh, muscle memory, and, and that's how unbelievably prominent option selects were. Yep. So and and, and and people thought it was so dumb 
uh, when it was first discovered. This is the dumbest thing they could have put in a fighting game because I don't have to think about anything. And I agreed with it. It, it. I came from a background where it's like, look, I don't just get to input a command and not have to think. Yet what happened is that became such a part, the execution of that and, and understanding how to blow that up became such a huge part of Street Fighter 4 that people accepted it and kind of moved on from it. And if that happened with Street Fighter 5 where you could input a command that was you know, you basically eliminated a bunch of options and option select of some type. I don't know how well received it would be, but it was when it threw people for a loop initially, when it, when it threw a wrench in their plans in terms of, Hey, I like to mix people up between attacks and throws a, a core, you know, tenant of, of street fighter. That's what you do. And it threw people for a loop. Then there's a lot of complaints and then acceptance. And, and it's just interesting that, that that's something that's just so dumb and should not be in fighting games. Option selects like that should not exist for the most part. It's hard to get rid of them, but you're, you're, taking, away, you're taking away part of the, the reading of the other player. And you're making, you don't have to do, I don't understand why you would have that in a fighting game on purpose, basically. Yeah. It, but it became completely acceptable. It became not only acceptable, it became something that people wanted. It was not a feature Capcom necessarily intended to have in there, at least to that degree. And and yet it became what what was expected and what was the norm. And taking that away and making the game more hard read based, like Street Fighter Five is, really pissed a lot of people off because they wanted that crutch. They wanted that crutch back. So I don't have to think and I don't have to do this stuff. I for all of a sudden now I'm having to juggle all this crap I never had to juggle before, and I'm getting random out. And I'm like, well, that's like what Street Fighter's kind of always been. Uh, it's it can be very volatile, uh, and if. Yeah, it's and there's other factors there as well, but it yeah. Well, I think that um, yes, Street Fighter V was very intentionally a movement towards commitment-based play, where Street Fighter Four is like, I don't have to commit because I can do this thing that covers 17 different options, and and it doesn't matter. I don't care what you pick because I'll hit you, and then and then we'll go into another one. Hashtag AE Akuma, right? With his vortex, he had option selects that once he knocked you on the ground, especially if you were like able it was uh, more or less impossible to escape if he did it correctly because every option you could use to try to get out, he would beat. Yep. Um, and, and But they identified that and tried to move away from it with Ultra and giving people like different wake-up timings and, um, and things like that and, and trying to get away from, from the Vortex because people hated that so much. Mm-hmm. And then I think Street Fighter V was the next outworking. They're like, this was so bad and so hated that I, I think that uh, they went... Let's move away from it as much as possible. And I don't think that it's necessarily the fact that Street Fighter V is different from that and that people want a million options to be able to, to, be able to cover a million options at once. It's, I think it's ultimately a, a better move that you are committed to doing a thing and then there's a, there's a counter to it. What the, the problem with that is, is that if one of those things is exceptionally good or it, it in its in and of itself somehow covers multiple options or doesn't carry the appropriate risk for what it does, then you see it a lot more because people don't have multiple answers to it. There's like mm-hmm. one answer and maybe it kind of covers that answer too. And that's, I think, where people have issue with Street Fighter Five. It's like, if, if this is the situation where it's commitment based, then that's fine and that's good. And that you're like, you're saying that was more or less what like the original street fighter was like, it's like, I'm going to throw this fireball. And if you read it right, you can jump over. But if not, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're eating my, my decision. Um, but in, in five, if there's a move that's, you see the risk reward highlighted a lot more clearly 
because things stand in their own spotlight, if that makes any sense. And so when something's unbalanced, when something's a lot more powerful than it should be, then we see it very a lot quicker and it, and it hits a lot harder. And I think that's the issue that people have with five. Yes. Oh, it's and the, one other thing about the throws. I don't know if we're moving away from the throws. No, no, no. It's a, all part of this discussion. Go okay, for it, man. Right. Well, then the other thing I was going to say is that I think that it was a, you were able to follow up on throws a lot more in Street Fighter Four than you are now in Five. That wasn't the mm. case before because we had loops. But um, for, and this isn't necessarily for every character. But like as Goken, if I got a forward throw, I got to dash forward and put you into pressure with a with a demon flip kick. If you backdashed, I had an option select covered with that too. So hitting a throw was not only getting that damage. And in this case, like yeah. moving you towards the corner, but it also led for a very strong oppression um, afterwards. And in this game, there is some, and especially in the corner, characters can get a lot of mileage out of throws, but they've made it as such that most of the time hitting that throw ends your turn or very much mutes like you might still be on offense afterwards, but you don't get as much pressure afterwards. So it's like a lot of times it's like if you're fighting Karen, you can try to tech, and then if she if she reads you right, she gets a full combo. Or if she throws you, she doesn't get much of a follow-up afterwards, so you kind of reset into the neutral. So you're spending that little bit of damage to get out of the, the potential of losing a lot of life, and that's another reason why you would take the throw more often than you would in, fo- in 4, where if you took the throw, you weren't out of anything, and you just risked taking more damage. Yeah, they, they Capcom clearly adjusted some of the Oki timings when you get a throw off. I remember, I think it was a back throw in Street Fighter 4. If Cammy got that, she got this wicked cross-up ambiguous setup. Uh, oh, and there the were ex- like unblockables and yeah, stuff too. Yeah, unblockables oh with gosh. it. And uh, they they really did try to adjust the, you know, the Oki timing there to make that less of a factor. But if you get someone in the corner in Street Fighter 5 and you, you, you basically do throw loops, I mean, they're not 100%, you know, throw loops, there's counters to them. But boy, does that get oppressive very quickly. And again, you see people like Phenom throw Daigo like 15 times in a row or like five or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you, you start seeing the stuff. You go, man, that's powerful. So it's it's toned down in some ways. And then in some ways, because of the meta of Street Fighter V, it's very it's very dominant still. And, and, and I would argue in some ways it's even more dominant than it was in Street Fighter IV throwing is. Uh, it, but it is character dependent. It, it, your, your character very much shapes your vision of what that is. Uh, but going back to something we were just talking about, in terms of Capcom adjusting you know, throws and other things and making it more commitment-based, they basically overcorrected from Street Fighter 4, where the game had become this technical option select. Like it, Many people argued, and I, I think very much with, with a lot of merit, that Street Fighter 4 became the most technical fighting game that Capcom had, had done in the Street Fighter series. And I think that's the case, because the amount of option selects and things you had to know, and the inputs and the timing and the one-frame links, it was very, very, very demanding. And they wanted to dial that back a bit and get, make the game more simple to play and the haha, everyone can win and all that. Um, but that was kind of the overcorrection here. They made too many just do it moves. They made the damage too strong. And and now they're they're on the path of like, okay, we've talked about this ad nauseum of they really need to dial back the just do it moves. And they have. And, and it's that's their history there. They're, they're making the reward for crush counters much less. Uh, the damage scaling on V triggers where... Any character, you know, they activate V-Trigger, they're plus, like, at least a little bit in most cases, uh, if not, like, plus, like, eight, you know. It's, they can it's, be, like, plus 12 and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. 
it's it's extremely advantageous and it's just literally i made you block a button and i activate a v trigger there's no real skill to doing it and it's character dependent but yeah so this is this is a classic overcorrection and it happened from street fighter 2 to the future game street fighter 2 was very dominant with fireballs if you had a fireball or if you did not, it dictated so much of what you could do in the game. And so Street Fighter 3 comes around and they add parries in there to deal with fireballs, among other things. And fireballs in Street Fighter 3 were really bad, generally speaking. Uh, you would use them in combos, but you would almost never use them in neutral because they were basically parry bait. So along comes uh, Street Fighter 4, and they're like, look, the game is too technical. Parries are controlling too much of it. There's too much neutral being played. We want to add more Oki in there. We want to add more pressure, and we want to bring the game back more to its roots and make fireballs decent again. Not the incredibly dominating factor that they were in Street Fighter 2, but, you know, make them good. Yeah, and, swing the pendulum back a little bit. Right. And, and so now we're, we're here with Street Fighter 4 and, and they're like, okay, well, too many option selects. People aren't making enough reads. And so we have, okay, well, we're going to make everything commitment-based. You can't FADC stuff. You know, you can't do through option selects. Oh, you and mean we're at Street Fighter 5 now? Street Fighter 5. Sorry if I said Street Fighter 4 there. My apologies. Uh, and so there we go. And, and it's that's the classic Capcom formula here. You can see it repeat, repeated in every iteration of Street Fighter, and that's fine uh, as long as you know. I mean, it, it depends on if you like the game or not, but it's that's what they do. Every every version of the game needs to be different from the the previous one that came in. But you can see the problems that 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 spawns basically. Well, and it's tell why, me what, mm -hmm. this this train of thought about fireballs and it going from parries and three to where we were in Street Fighter 4, what about, where does focus dash? Because um, you could absorb a, a single hit fireball and uh, basically get that as, as ultra meter. So that to me seems like it was pretty similar to third strike in that like if you threw a single fireball, someone could just absorb it and, and get closer to their ultra, which I would kind of akin to like being able to absorb and, and get closer to V trigger if you're a five player. So what would happen there, and this happened earlier in Street Fighter 4's lifespan quite often, is that someone would be back there absorbing fireballs, but they're taking gray health. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you would throw an EX or you do an off-time one, and they'd eat that one, and 40% of their health is gone. Sure. So there was risk and reward with that. And you could you would oftentimes see people absorb like two to three fireballs kind of at a maximum and then get off of it because like now the risk and reward is way too much. If I if I make a single misstep and, and hop on a fireball, I'm toast. And you yeah. still saw plenty of characters like uh Chun Li, Guile, Ryu, they were all they all had really good fireball games still, relatively speaking. They wouldn't hold up in the super turbo era, but they would hold up they held up just fine in, in Street Fighter Four where you actually saw them throw fireballs versus Street Fighter 3, where you looked at those, you know, similar characters and you hardly ever saw them chucking plasma because it just, Perry almost completely negated it. Plus, you have instant recovery, you're not losing any health, all that kind of stuff. It was really hard to make fireballs good in that. And you game. could parry multi hitting fireballs oh, yeah. as well. So, oh, yeah. like, that wasn't a thing in, in 4. If you threw like a double hitting fireball or more, uh, you couldn't you couldn't focus that. So yeah, it, it it you know you could still negate fireballs from a distance, but yes, there was much more cost than than in three. So that's basically the history of how these games kind of evolve and kind of de-evolve over time. It's it's hard to get them right. You you see the problems of the past and you try to fix them and those create new problems, but also new opportunities and new approaches for these games. And and that's why it's so important. I, again, I feel very strongly that 
each game needs to be different. I don't want to play the same Street Fighter 4 I've been playing for, you know, 10 years that we played it for. It You have to move on. You have to try new things. Uh, but getting back on subject here to, to Street Fighter 5, you were mentioning that, that you've seen some interesting things with the usage here for Capcom Cup that's coming up. Uh, what have you seen so far? Well, um, recently Ace King Offsuit, the best damn bookkeeper in the FGC, as mm. I have uh, begun calling him, reported the basically the clinched Capcom Cup berths in a few different ways. And I thought that was interesting because we only have, gosh, now I think it's two events left on the tour before we hit Capcom Cup. So we're really here at the end. And those are, one of them is, is the online East for uh, North America. So that's a pretty limited and it's a ranking event. So there will be a little bit of movement there, but it's only going to be open to North Americans online and it's a ranking. So not a ton. And then the other one is a premier event. So this could move the needle for a lot of people, but it's the North American um, finals. And so uh, a few more things, a few more blocks to put in place before we see, you know, the the real puzzle. Um, But right now we have broken down by nation nine Japanese players that are for sure qualified for Capcom Cup. And then the next, the runner-up, is the Dominican Republic, actually, with three players. Following that is South Korea with two. And the uh, United Arab Emirates, I think it's both of the birds, (laughs) Angry and Big Bird, uh, also have two. And then the USA has two. So uh, after that, all the following countries all have one player that, that's qualified for Capcom Cup, and that's China, France, Singapore, Norway, Taiwan, and the UK. And the UK, that being, of course, the, um, the EVO champion Problem X. By region, there are 14 players from Asia, and that's far and away the, the, the most dominant region of the four. Second place is Europe with five Third place is those three Dominican Republic players from Latin America. Um, and then in last place, as far as the regions go, is North America with only two players qualified. I believe those two are Justin Wong and Knuckledew. Now, there are a handful of other players that are probably going to make it in, like Chris T, uh, Punk, but they haven't been mathematically qualified in yet, and they haven't... Um, and they they are not you know qualified via like an auto qual tournament you know like a regional finals or something like that. So those numbers will of course go up because that doesn't add up to thirty one to begin with. But uh, that's where we're kind of standing right now. And if Capcom Cup were tomorrow, seven of the remaining eight spots that haven't officially been filled would be three of them would go to Japan, three of them would go to the USA, and one of them would go to South Korea. And then, of course, the very last spot would be the last chance qualifier winner, which, of course, is going to be one of the two of us. We'll see what happens in grand finals come Capcom Cup. Right, of course. <laughs> I, I've actually already won Capcom Cup, as I mentioned last uh, week. You so. fortune tellers, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm hoping to, to enter. Uh, we'll see. I've got a lot of work to do at, at, at Capcom Cup. If I'm able to attend now, uh, we're kind of getting reports of, of it being sold out. So we're going to see uh, what we can what we can do. But uh, but yeah. Um, one of the things that you brought up here is Japan being number one yet again, which is no yeah, uncommon no thing. At our, yeah, no, no uncommon thing at all in our community. And before the excuse was that arcades were very dominant, the arcade culture, and this is not an arcade game. And also they got a huge head start uh, in Japan with Street Fighter 4 being an arcade release, you know, it came out about, you know, about a year or so before we got the console release or somewhere thereabouts, maybe six months, eight months, something like that. So why is Japan continuing to still be dominant? Why uh, is that region, you know, and, and, you know, Asia region, whatever you want to, you know, incorporate into that. In the U.S. players, we've got two, as you mentioned, and, you know, a handful of others kind of on the horizon, but it's basically the same thing we've seen before. And 
to me, that speaks very loudly to, look, these are the same guys doing the same training tactics, the same approaches, working together, trying to get better. Their mindset is better uh, in a number of regards than some of our players over here. And uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to put people like Knuckle Dew, our Punk, our Justin Wong on blast because they're up there and they're doing great. And I think they're collectively wonderful. Um, and I can't fault anything they're doing because they're they're right in that same kind of, if you're almost qualified for Capcom Cup, you're doing a lot of stuff right. I can't fault you in, in any regard. But the U.S. has a much larger player base to go off of. A lot of the big events are here. The Capcom Pro Tour is more catered to the U.S. market than it is anywhere else. Uh, lo- lots of wonderful opportunities. So why is this a small part uh, of our globe uh, such a dominant force in fighting games, and specifically Street Fighter? Yeah. Um, why is it so good versus, you know, everything else? And, and that's what I come to. Again, it's it's they're doing the same stuff they've always done. Uh, our kids, you know, are not a factor, but it's they're doing the same approaches. So so a few things on that. I think that Japan, um, Asia in general, but Japan with the nine representations and, and, and make no mistake about it. Japan is carrying Asia in that way. There are some other strong Asian players, you know, like Infiltration, like Shen. Uh, but it's it's the bulk of it is Japan, as evidenced by nine versus, you know, you go to South Korea, it's two, or you go to China, it's just one, Singapore, it's one. But um, I think that if you go back to what I think you're referring to is like the, the before four times, you know, uh, it was if Japan showed up to your event, they were expected to win it. Mm-hmm. They were expected to be all of top eight if more than eight of them showed. And that was more or less the way things went down. It was very rare to see a Japanese player um, that was traveling show up to an event and not win it and not dominate the top eight. And they're still winning more often than not. Yep. But nowadays, if Japan shows up to a tournament, they're not guaranteed. You you know, you have Tokido and you have... Um, uh, Mena RD in the grand finals of Capcom Cup who walked away the winner of that most of the time Tokido's winning he's easily the most consistent player these days but it's not a shoe-in anymore and Japan's still winning the most they're not winning everything and I think that's a huge distinction to make right now so back in the day they won everything they dominated it was like oh we got one guy in top eight and he went out in seventh but hey you know we showed up and now <laughs> Who won Evo? You know, it's it's like now other people, other countries are winning. Not as much as Japan, but they are doing it. And it's not crazy to see somebody else take a major event. And I think that's the big difference here. Why is that happening now? I think that, one, yes, the arcade culture was a thing. And Japan having the games a little bit earlier, I'm sure, was was part of it. But I think just in their culture, Japan has been taking video games, and, and I guess in this area we can just say fighting games, more seriously than most of the rest of the world uh, for a long time. It was more than just a fun thing to do when you come home from school. It was, I get done with work or school, I go to the arcade, and then I finish at the arcade and go back to work or school. And um, you know we've adva- we have all these advancements in technology and communication now, so people have much more access to things, and I think that the gap that was there between the way Japan treated fighting games and the way most of the rest of the world treats fighting games is also shortening. And that's why we're seeing other people, or I should say other regions, other countries step it up and now becoming more and more competition for Japan. I think that we are starting, especially with the esports movement and now like motivated, if nothing else, 
else by by the amount of money that can be potentially made here amongst other things people are starting to treat fighting games with the level of respect and and seriousness that japan has been doing since relatively day one and i think that as we continue down this path given that fighting games continue to grow as a genre continuing the you know to to grow in esports there's more money there's more opportunity there's more communication that eventually we will the rest of the world will catch up to japan and the playing field will further level out but beforehand it was i think japan's culture and general look at or outlook towards fighting games the way they treated them that gave them this advantage and that's going to be continuing to shrink if we stay on this path Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious how we're going to see stuff shake out. Obviously, we had Knuckle Dew and Ricky Ortiz take first and second at you know Capcom Cup 2016. As you said, Mena RD got first and then Tokido second. Uh, it, you know, and Problem X uh, took Evo this year. There's there's more diversity for sure. Uh, and yet Japan is still there. As you mentioned, they're not as dominant. They're still very dominant, though. And and I, I just don't understand with the playing field being basically being level now uh arcade training grounds were a thing uh when you've got that many people isolated into a single area uh, area uh it, they get very dominant I'll, I'll actually point to the socal regionals every single year you see massive upsets there because there are so many killers in socal uh it's one of the breeding grounds of the fighting game community it's a big deal and there are just so many very good players who don't travel necessarily all over the place that just play each other all the time and they get very good and, and it's why you see even you know players from japan get upset there all the time every year if you go back and look at our battle logs every year uh it doesn't matter the game uh, any street fighter game that we play uh you're gonna see a bunch of upsets in there one of the more infamous ones i think was uh, uh alex valle against um um, a Bonchan, and he was playing Hugo against his uh, Sagat, mm-hmm. and I forget if that was out of SoCal Regionals, but still, it's That's a SoCal Evo. player. Yeah, there you go. It's a SoCal player, and again, those guys are killers, man. They are really good, and when you run across a player from the SoCal area, like you know, uh, and except for this other guy I'm talking to here, he's from Arizona. He definitely <laughs> never played in you know SoCal ever, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I also think that part of this equation that I was talking about before with Japan having this more serious approach to fighting games and the rest of the world catching up now, even if we're looking at things through um, a similar lens and that, that Japan has been looking through for a long time, for maybe 30 years or so, they, you know, you think about players like Haitani, like Tokido, like Sako. Not only are they doing that, they've been doing that for mm-hmm. a long time. And so even if now, say say that my training regimen is now similar to what they're doing because I'm taking the game as serious, they still have so many years of doing that through different games and the lessons that they've learned that I still have yet to learn, even though I might be operating on the same level as them, there's still going to be some catch-up that needs to be done. They're still going to process parts of the game and, and understand it at more fundamental levels more rapidly than I probably am as someone from another another um, region or another country. So it's going to take a while for everyone to catch up, but I think that we are now taking it as seriously, and I think we will catch up, like I said, given that we stay on this path. All right, nice. So I'm going to hold you to that prediction, so we'll see how that goes. But anyway, <laughs> um, another thing that happened here is we have the newest stats here for Street Fighter V, and uh, Bison and Yurian are number one and number two, respectively, in matches one. And this is online. This is online. The online stats for the uh, CFN. And that kind of leads me to believe that those characters are very good online. 
Uh, and, and again, I, I, we've talked about Bison being dumb. I agree. I think Urian, I don't necessarily call him that dumb, but he's not exactly the most technical character to use, especially if you're kind of spamming stand heavy punch and hoping for good things to happen. Are you throwing out a reflector and our EX tackle and into reflector are doing a reflector again, uh, just to do it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we, I, I agree that he's has some pretty dumb and easy approaches, but I also remember talking, especially when Dream King played him in season two, mm-hmm. him being the most, if not one of the most technical characters in the game when it comes to things like Aegis mix-ups and combos. Like that's like, and all three of us were saying that. It's like, yeah, yeah he's yeah, super yeah. technical. He can be, but you don't have to do that and you can still do some great stuff with him. You know, Agreed. It, yeah, just throw out knee, throw out yeah. tackle, throw out heavy punch and you can, you can do that with finesse you can do that with intention like we've seen nemo do right but you can also do it like scrub boy 15 does and and you can still get some mileage out of it so i'll definitely give you that yeah so to turn this on his head a little bit now rounding out the top four we have fong and then we have blanca and what? yeah then you go <laughs> well, holy wait what is that what does that mean and and the where I go with this is it's really important to look at the the stats in conjunction with the match winning type stuff and so what you see that is the matches match stats like show how popular someone is Ryu is still number one he's been number one like almost every single month since the game is launched we made a big deal about it when Sagat overtook him and I think Akuma overtook him like one other time and those are like the only two months like that Ryu was not the number one character so you go in there and you see that Fong is 34th dead last so yeah he's in the top four and and he's the people who win with him are doing very well but very very few people are actually playing him same thing with Blanca Blanca is one of the most winning characters online which speaks to his troll nature but also he's Hmm. 31st in overall stats where barely anyone is using him and so what happens with that is you can see that the people that are using these characters are pretty damn proficient with them and they know what they're doing and then you go to someone like Cammy, who is the exact opposite. We know she's very popular. Um, she is uh, six overall in popularity, but she's bottom four in the entire game in terms of how much people are winning with her. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of like it's interesting, like when you get enough data, when you're doing statistics, if you don't have enough data to paint a complete picture, you you can get lost in these stats and you can think that, you know, maybe Fong and Blanca are a little bit better than, you know, they actually are. Uh, you can argue wherever they're at, but they're not common in tournament. You know, you're not seeing them up there with a Rashid or a Kami or a Manad or whatever. Uh, it's just, it's not happening. But you get more of a sense of, is Capcom looking at the stuff and taking it into account for balancing? Are they looking at a character like Bison and Urian who are winning the most online and, and given their popularity, are they saying, you know, that might be too good. And I get balancing stuff for a tournament, right? Balancing it for problem X and Nemo playing. It's a whole different story than balancing it for, you know, scrub boy 15 and Jim, you know, down the street who are playing each other yet. It can't be, in my opinion, a moot factor in that, you need to look at that stuff and see where players on all ends of the spectrum are having fun or possibly not having fun because a character is so damn oppressive that they're winning everything online. And and is it because they basically have very stupid and abusable tactics that are just too strong in that context and that those things need to be toned down? So based on the balance changes, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, for a multitude of reasons to season four, but I'm curious how these stats will maybe play into stuff. Are we going to see some stuff to Bison and Urian that maybe nerf some of their more dumb, just do it type things that really get you by at lower levels of play that have much more counters at higher levels of play that people know? 
and, mm. and it's something that's it's it's interesting. I, I can't see the stats being a moot factor here. Basically, they, I think they have to factor in in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but that's just my thoughts. Well, yeah, Capcom only has so many different pools to to grab information out of when they want to prepare to do like such a huge alteration to the game as as do a new balance patch for for all of the characters and unlike years previous i feel that and it it would make sense because they've made they've gotten rid of a lot of the glaring issues right they've cleaned the big mustard stains off of the shirt and it's like well where do you go from here it's a lot harder to predict the directions they're going to go and and the routes they're going to take in altering the game if at all like maybe they're happy with where it is right now and we'll see a very minimal change um but it is hard to predict the kind of uh, the way that they're going to be looking at things because beforehand people were very vocal about throw loops, right, and anti-air jabs, and and of course the input lag. And I would have I would have expected that if we were going into this next um, this next year and this next big change, you know, for the for season four, that the input lag might have been one of those things that they're looking at. But now that that's been fixed, you know, three fourths of the way through season three, I really don't know what the big change if any is going to happen here um, as far as Capcom is concerned um, there's there's plenty of different directions that they could choose to, to go with it but right. I don't see one standing out um, above the others and so getting back to your kind of point here I first of all I do appreciate that I think that the general takeaway from the beginning of that was don't look at a single statistic and use it to to drive an entire narrative because then you're a dumb, <laughs> bad reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I think that it's very important for us to not take, you know, things in a vacuum and very much try to look at the entire picture when we're when we're proposing balance changes and and stuff and. You know, I, I as far as I mean, do you have an idea? Do you have a or do you have a, a thing that you suspect Capcom might be doing with this? With, you know, on the bigger levels for season four. Honestly, I think that being robbed in this game and feeling like just that sense of there was nothing I could have really done. Someone just kind of did a move and 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 got me. I think that's really the biggest factor. And I want to be careful with this because what you just said, I think, is something that we need to hammer on every person in the fighting games community's wall, a big giant sign that says, you're too focused on your small part of the overall picture. You need to look at how these ch- in- these changes, these things that you want, impact the entire game. And, and that's hard to do because we are so biased and we are so conditioned to understand what our characters do and don't do well that we sometimes forget how they're impacting the entire experience. Uh, uh, ecosystem of these games and there's mm-hmm. over a thousand matchups in Street Fighter 5 and over a thousand of them I don't care who you are and not even Capcom you do not have full and complete knowledge of each one you do not understand fundamentally how this stuff is going to shake out and we collectively I, I see it on Twitter all the time I see it with talking to my friends I see it everywhere we're so focused on how these games impact us it's all about me it's all about what I think is going on. And I have this experience. I've done this. I've done that. And it's all about me. And it's like, damn, it's like, we're assholes. <laughs> like, we're a bunch <laughs> of freaking assholes. And, and, and it, 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 you, you look at the stuff and you go, look, like, have some consideration for the Alex and Fong players out there. And, and not just them, but like everyone, even the characters who are stuck in the mid tier who, who maybe don't even have a fun character to play and they're just playing that character out of loyalty. We need to do a much better job of, of looking at our entire player base because 
the thing that we want in fighting games, I think most people want, is they want a satisfactory experience. They want to have fun, but and they don't want to feel like they were cheated one way or the other. Like, how many Kami players go up there and say, man, I'm so skilled, I'm so incredible, I'm great, and there's some um, amazing Kami players in our scene. You know, Zhao Hai, Alex Myers, you could go on and on about great, skilled, incredible competitors, yet they play Kami. They don't want that. They don't want to be known as a cami player and getting by on her OP nature. They'll take it, you know. They'll they'll stick with it, but that's not satisfying to anyone. And, and the you know the the opposite is true. You play a crappy character, you get a lot of street cred for it, but you're also eating a lot of losses. And you look at someone like Gunfight who plays Alex, and you go, "Damn, dude, you're a trooper. You're incredible, but you're also getting undersold because your character's so bad you can't compete." And, and your true skill is not able to shine through. That's bad. Those are the extremes. And those are the kind of things we need to, to get rid of more to have a more happy medium here and not just tell our characters and, and, and look at this. And I'm guilty of it, too. I'm 150 billion percent guilty of this. I think my character needs it. You guys don't understand Monot like I do. My character needs this. And, and it's it's hard to find that balance. But we we as a community, just need to do so much a better job of looking at the entire picture of the game and seeing where it's going and get our adjustments from that versus our tiny little vacuum of stuff that only impacts us and the things around it. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there are multiple tiers here, and I think the first thing that you want to look at, first of all, understand that there's going to be a best character and there's going to be a worst character, and that's good because a hierarchy has to emerge Otherwise, you're going to have the same character 35 times and no one really wants that. So there's going to be a best and a worst. The balance there is that the the difference between the best and the worst is not so great that like it's impossible to win like in a valid manner with the the worst character. Then you also have outside of just characters with good frame data for instance and that's what makes them good or or good, you know, speed or or good damage output are characters that have moves that are, you know, like we, we addressed earlier, the just do it, I'm going to turn my brain off and do this, and it's probably going to work, but if even if it doesn't, I'll just do it again because it's safe or whatever, or the risk-reward is so skewed that it begins to take the fun out of the game, the, the competitive aspect out of the game, and where you're just putting someone in a goofy 50-50 that you didn't earn at all, and then reaping the rewards of that. And so it's one thing to say, okay, you know what, Cami is is good, but she's good in a. Actually, I think Akuma is a better example. For the most part, outside of what I think, you know, maybe Ex Demon Flip tends to be, um, it, like Akuma's just got really good buttons and really good frame data and good speed and good tools. And it's like there has to be a best character or or uh, amongst the best characters, and Akuma happens to be that, and that's okay, you know, because he's not doing things that that are are goofy he still has to take the appropriate risk he still has to see what you're doing and respond to it appropriately and you get to have that back and forth now he has a little bit of a handicap in his favor because of his tools but like someone has to and so he he's that that's okay um and but but you also in in the same in the same vein the worst character in the game can still have a move that that they shouldn't have you know, that, that's dumb, that takes away from the competitive nature of things. Birdie's not the best character in the game, not by far, but he's got a stupid move that I think takes away from, from the fun of the game. Um, and and so it's like there's there's balancing to make characters 
good and there's balancing to make characters part of the competitive back and forth that, you know, uh, at least the competitive scene sits down to play your game for. One of the things I want to jump in on, because you're, you're talking about, you know, taking away moves that are stupid and bad. And one of the things that if you talk to Alex players, they generally say his view trigger one is stupid and bad. And that mm-hmm. gets back to the classic argument of, well, he needs it. And yeah, he kind of does need something that's stupid and good because he doesn't have anything else going for him. And that's where you get into the nuance of this. And you realize he needs other tools to make up for that. And you want to take away the stupid. At the same time, I'll go to this. And, and it's it's a point of contention with our team. Grappler characters specialize in robbing you. They specialize in... I've knocked you down or I've got you in a situation you don't want to be in and I'm going to make you to go hard read to get out of it. And that's that's what they've always done. That's what they've always been. And, and yes. it's hard to do that. And so, and so I, I'll throw this question out there. Like, where does the balance point lie there? Where does it become that where that's acceptable and where it doesn't? Well, it, it all, I think, comes down to risk-reward. Because I think about, like, Zangief in Street Fighter Four, and I got to play Snake Eyes a lot, so I feel like I've, you know, I've definitely got experience playing against this character. And, you know, the character was very strong up in your face and, and, it, and had a very clear disadvantage when he was far away. He, it was hard for Zangief to get close to you, but the balance was still about right so mm-hmm. that if Zangief earned his way up into your face as a grappler, his reward was, well, now I'm at heavy advantage. And and it's right. so much so that you have to guess. But it was so hard for him to get there that it, it was a balance of appropriate risk-reward. And you go, okay... The game is not fought with, you know, I'm if Zangief's in my face, I'm losing, and you could accept that. Now, if Zangief was able to just do a green hand from all the way across the screen and get next to you, and you couldn't react to it, and then he was also safe, and then he had all of that, well, then you go, that's skewed risk-reward. Mm-hmm. On the other side, if Zangief can get close to you and hit you a few times, but then you get out, and, it, and he has just as hard of a time getting close to you again, then it's like, well, now you have Street Fighter V Zangief, where the the risk doesn't balance in the reward in the opposite direction so it's not to no, say that no. a character can't put you in a 50 50 but if right. that's how they operate they better be damn hard for them to get to that situation i agree with you on everything you just said there so now how about a character like abigail who's incredibly hyped to watch and fun to watch and sometimes when you're toning this stuff down you end up toning it down to the point where it's just not even fun to do anymore it's not rewarding if the character has their strength and if you go, okay, if I take this away, that's going to make the character, it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. Like, okay, but if he doesn't have, you know, roll into V trigger cancel, um, you know, which is safe and automatically puts you in a 50, 50 that threatens half your life. If he doesn't have that, he doesn't have anything. Then I go, well, then you did a crappy job designing your character okay. because they are hin- the, the whole thing depends on them just doing that thing which takes little to no thought it's like well then there's no com- there's no competition about it it's like i might as well go play rock paper scissors you know against the, a, a computer game that does rock paper scissors and it's like oh i lost or oh i won there's no reward out of that because they, they either did it or they didn't and so that's why i have problems with characters like like abigail like armika where it's it's like yeah their thing that is really good is not fun like it sucks to lose to that and you don't feel like there's a lot of competition there that's mm-hmm. not the competitive spirit is kind of robbed away from you there but i agree if you took it away from them well then now they have nothing and i go yep crappy design 
in the right. character. And 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 the the remedy to that is like it's no easy task, man. You have to give them different things. You have to change the way the character operates. And like mm-hmm. that's that's hard and that's daunting and as a developer as a, you know, that's that's a lot more work. But it's because I think they're foundationally not designed very well. Right. And and, and that's what people need to keep in mind with this is how hard this work is. It's not easy. Capcom has some great people that have been doing it since the Street Fighter II era. There's, I believe, a handful of staff members even left from that period of time that have worked on these games for that many years. Uh, you know, a lot of comings and goings and all that, but it's hard. The corporate knowledge they have built up there at Capcom, uh, I'm pretty adamant about this. I think Capcom's game balance is the best, and people can blow me up on Twitter at Catalyst EH for that. Um, <laughs> but bottom line is they have the most played games in the community. The competitive balance in our scene, uh, we basically know that with every iteration of Street Fighter or a Capcom fighting game, the balance is going to be pretty damn good. It's going to be rare where the, the balance is off and other things. And there's a bunch of contributing factors like, you know, well, you know, it's a Street Fighter brand name and that's why people play it more or whatever. You can say whatever you want, but the bottom line is Capcom games are universally praised for their gameplay and their balance for the most part. It's, you know, you're going to find plenty of exceptions out there. I think they do a great job. And They've been doing it this long, yet still they can't get it perfect. They can't get it dialed in. It's that hard to do. Mm-hmm. But we as a community can do something about it. And and so you go, okay, well, like, well, what can we do? Like you guys are pointing out all the problems. And so uh, I'll list off a couple things that we're able to come up with here. Uh, I was talking with Dream King about this, and he said one of the things people need to do is play more characters. Uh, and he said that because he plays half the cast, right? And that's what mm-hmm. he does, and he knows, well, it's still not bad advice. Venturing into other waters do help you with understanding the matchup and how good or how bad these things are. And if you're completely stuck in the, you know, Monot vacuum and you never go venture out those of those waters, you don't really understand the game from other people's point of view. You don't understand how oppressive and just daunting this character can be to approach until you're on that other end. Uh, and so another thing is you can also try to be more open to people's pain and experience when they're talking to you about how bad Zangief sucks in this game. Uh, and, and just instead of writing them off immediately and going, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, scrub, get good, uh, or go pick another character, you can actually listen to them and say, like, what what do you find that's troubling with you with this character? Like, what, what sucks about him? And a lot of people are going to say getting in. And if you didn't know that, if you didn't know how much of a pain it is to get in with this character... There you go. Like, start there. Start talking to people. Start, you know, leveling up your collective knowledge because Capcom is out there and they are listening. And if our voices are loud enough and strong enough and consistent enough, they do hear it. And you will see oftentimes, uh, we go back to this quite a bit, the Urian changes that we listed from, I think it was season two to season 2.5. We did an article about that. All of us contributed. We talked to community members. Uh, You can look back at that and see that Capcom implemented almost every single one of the changes we had in there in a very very similar style that we had in them. And so we try to lead the discussion here at Event Hubs in some regards. Obviously, we're not the end-all be-all of the fighting game community, but we do talk to a lot of people. We try to be neutral about this. We I, uh, we question each other a lot behind the scenes and we'll be like, dude, people will tell me your opinion about Monad is stupid. They'll be more diplomatic, you know. <laughs> they won't, you know, find out call me stupid, but in a way of speaking, they will. And we are trying to challenge ourselves to, to level up and basically not stick to the rivers and the lakes that we're used to and not chase waterfalls. Yeah, I had to sneak that in there. <laughs> but it's very important that we 
we level up our education in the community and that we don't stay ignorant on purpose. That we say, you know what? I don't know all 1,000 matchups in this game. Let me go talk to some other players who know these matchups well and try to help weigh them and, and really help our community level up collectively, get more educated and, and, and be better. So that's, and I, and I agree with you there. I think that we're very quick to make certain judgments and then run with them as if they're law. And I mean, just... All it takes is to think, well, when's the last time you really believed something and you found out that it wasn't true? And how did you feel at the moment? It's like, mm-hmm. that's possible to happen. So so always, you know, talk to other people and and be open to the idea that they have something to, to teach you that you don't currently know, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that's a good general approach to things. Um, but I, I also wanted to kind of get into the, the specifics of... Well, what would we change, um, generally speaking? Uh, we, we already talked about how we would balance at least one thing for each character um, a couple of episodes ago going into Season 4. But what about general gameplay mechanics? And the answer to this could be nothing. I think the game's kind of okay as far as the general mechanics go um, at the moment. But yeah, I would like to kind of know uh, what we think on um, on those points. Yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with the game as it is right now, but I do agree with people that say the game could use a little bit more spice. And a little bit like, hey, it doesn't have quite the same like combo flair that Street Fighter 4 does. When you see a combo in Street Fighter 4 from Evil Ryu or whomever, you really, you know, you light up and you go, wow, that's very impressive. And I don't know if this would come in, you know, via some extra cancels or, or some kind of, a, you know, part of me here, an FADC mechanic. I know we just have been over. I don't want it yeah. to become Street Fighter 4. Um, <laughs> but some kind of like opportunity to maybe to spend a little bit more cash and get a little bit more flash. And, and I think a character like Monat is a, a perfect example of, of how to make a very flashy character uh, that just is most people enjoy watching the character, uh, I, especially when you're seeing Sako or whomever, you know, do those combos. Uh, mm. It's very fun. Uh, and, you know, we highlight that quite a bit. I think that's a little bit of what the game is missing right now. Uh, and, and again, we've, we've hit this so many times, so I'll keep this part very short, but really getting rid of more of the robbery aspects of the game. I, it's, and that's hard, right? You know, for all the reasons we just mentioned, but making the game feel a little bit more, uh, I, I'm just doing this move because I'm, it's good. And, and like, I'm doing this move because there's a, there's a proper risk reward and it's, you know, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are kind of the two things that I'm focused on the most. And the the first one could honestly be addressed by adding new characters. And sometimes that's what it is. We, we talk about Street Fighter 4 having huge flashy combos. So, okay, well, let's go to a character like Abel. Where's his huge flashy combos? doesn't really have him he has like you know what is it like five or six combos or whatever that that players did and and, you know one of them was an fadc combo that's great um but we go to characters like evil ryu and we say well he has massive combos and that's where you know people went in to play him at uh so i'd like to see a little bit of an increase there but again it could be done in a multitude of ways how about you um two quick things uh one something that i've talked about uh just about around this time for the last two years or so trap moves and by that I mean moves that uh, carry their their reward with them very clearly, but then the the risk, which is should be like you know they're usually like heavy moves that end up spacing the the aggressor too far away for the um, the person that's successfully defended to capitalize or take their turn back, and so it's like. Um, the most obvious one of these is is Birdie's EX um, headbutt, and just mm-hmm. that it's minus five, but it's spaced too far away. So if you use your five frame move, he just gets to hit you for it, um, stuff like that. And 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 more so, like I've I've actually spent enough time investigating Birdie's headbutt that like 
okay, I've, I've come to terms with what it is. I still don't think it's a good thing to have in the game, but I can deal right. with it. And so it's like, I, I still think it should be changed, but it's not the worst thing in the world to me because I've had to adapt. And there's something to be talked about there, but also just like a lot of heavy buttons that will space them, will space characters away. So even though they, they can essentially spam them and they'll end up with grabbing a crush counter here and there, even though you're trying to take your turn back and you've successfully blocked and your reward should be that it's your turn. Well, nope, because I'm spaced so far away that now I just hit it again. And when you go to take your turn, you get crush countered, which leads me into my next one. And I'm not sold on this, but it's something that I think we should at least talk about as a community. Crush counters have already been nerfed a few times in that their damage scaling um, has gone up. And then, or I guess it was also that when you cancel into V-Trigger, that, that added damage scaling too. So maybe crush counters have only been kind of technically nerfed once. But um, people kind of tend to complain about getting crush countered in the neutral. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't think that we can take that out because then you're only, only certain characters would be able to get crush countered, right? Because the, only the ones with, with reversals and you, you hit them when they're coming back down from an unsuccessful DP or something like that. You still need to have crush counters in the game. But uh, the, the fact that so many characters can just fish for that and, and, and more so than anything, the feeling that you get when you when you get tagged with one of those, it's just one of the most not fun things about the game right now. So this is coming more from an emotional standpoint. It's like, when do I feel the crappiest while playing five? Well, one of those is usually in a situation that that is led to by the thing I was just talking about in those trap moves. But getting hit in the neutral with a crush counter, it's like, that sucks. Because, I mean, maybe maybe they were planning that, but... Usually you don't use too many heavies in the neutral for for footsies, but in this game you're very much driven to um, because of the priority system and the the way crush counters work. And it's like, man, that's still pretty strong. And uh, and you and I were actually discussing this yesterday. And your solution, I actually think, is, is really good. If do you want to share that, I don't want to take your thunder there from that. Uh, yeah. It- one of the things about Monat's Crouch Heavy Punch, which also Crush Counters, is it'll only do it on frame one, I believe. It, the moves gets its damage uh, scaled down after that. And uh, yeah, so the the essence is to do a Crush Counter and you're not going to get it if if you do it on, if your, your meaty or your you know normal that you throw out in neutral hits on frame two or higher. And it will not completely remove crush counters in neutral they'll still happen but the likelihood of them happening is dropping like i don't know 60 percent um something like that uh and you're still getting a nice reward you're still getting a big beefy you know heavy punch you're just not getting uh, as much reward as you would before where you would you know basically you know follow up depending on the character you're in and season two was infamous for hitting you with a crush counter like handshake move um Mm -hmm. uh, flow did nothing but that on one of his streams it was the best (laughs) thing ever did nothing but it. Funny to watch. Yeah, yes. um, but not so funny when it's happening to you. And then, of course, he would dash up an elbow. And uh, Urian players love that, but I think everyone else on the planet hated that. And it just was not fun to be hit by just randomly someone kind of just hoping, you know, that move basically worked and not having much recourse for countering it. And this would be a way of offsetting it that is built already into the game. One of the things that players should keep in mind is that making brand new systems and ways of dealing with moves is something Capcom can do, but it's not necessarily the easiest thing. And as we talked about before, um, 
unexpected consequences for doing that. You got to be careful with adding brand new systems into games because mm -hmm. of those reasons. But this is something that already exists. We know it works okay. Monat's got it. Uh, it makes her crush counters a little bit harder to land, but you still get the you know the 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 DP uh, invincible reversals. Like it's a piece of cake to still land that. You're always hitting on frame one. You know there's there's no point to do a meaty. Um, you know or it, you're not going to miss it basically. So it doesn't take that away, but it does help reduce it in neutral. Well, I'd be fine if they if they were going to do this change for making those moves their entire recovery crush counterable. I think that that's that mechanic is just fine mm -hmm. because it, it it causes appropriate risk for the for the very strong invincible reversal. But then if you're talking about just in the neutral, I think that frame one heavy hits, uh, you know, crush counter moves only actually crush counter on frame one. It's like, that's gonna lead to me as the aggressor having to set things up a, with a little more precision right. than just, here comes Roundhouse. And and hey guys, this is coming from an Akali player, mm -hmm. okay? I benefit from neutral crush counters all day. And, and I'm still saying I'm okay with the idea of, we'll make this, you need to have a little more intent behind this kind of reward. Yeah. I think it would universally be a very good change. It's it's something I wish I thought of. I, I think that's a very strong point from you, and it's just it's it's again skewing that risk reward to a, a little bit more thought, a little bit more intent, as you say, behind your attack. And let's actually explain that here for our readers at home. Like they they might be going, okay, well, like what the hell do you even mean by intent? Like what what are you talking about? Like this is not like a legal, you know court type thing like what what do you what the hell is intent like can you explain because that the to me? the fun of fighting games i believe comes from the fact that the the difference between playing against the computer where you figure out the pattern and then you know it and then you just okay i jump over the fireball and then i wait a second and then they do the invincible move and then i punish them it's like you just figure out a pattern that's going to happen over and over again and it's like there's something to be to be at attained there but then after you've done that it's kind of like meh whatever when you play another human being it's your active problem solving mind against their active problem solving mind and to beat that it comes with so much reward because they can change in the middle of it and it's mm -hmm. like that's that's amazing that's so much more reward and so the reason we're doing this the reason why it's fun to beat your friends is because of that and if there's something that that where people don't have to think then they can disengage from that and win or lose you're taking that element away and i think that's the most fundamental part of why these games are entertaining why they're fun so it's like i mean just set the computer to repeatedly hit roundhouse or, or heavy punch like flow was essentially doing he was just hitting heavy punch over and over again and he ended up winning and it's like well win or lose against that is it fun if you if you figured out that the the urine is just gonna mash heavy punch over and over again, it's like no, it's like okay, I'll make the adjustment, it's over with. But like, sure, you might get money for winning the tournament, and that's nice. Or you might get points for winning online, but fundamentally, it's not fun. So the more that someone has to think, and the more they have to apply specific intent, I think the more satisfaction comes out of both winning and and losing. Yes, and um, and so that's what I would mean by someone needs to have more intent when they play and the things that where you can just do it take away from that yes and and there is you know the the crux of this is you have to have some kind of just mo do it moves in the game that change momentum we're used to that with ultras we're used to that with supers there were people who hated supers back in the day in super street fighter 2 turbo they're like this is a dumb move you you get beat up and you you know you build meter and all of a sudden i can do a move that does 60 percent of your life and you're dead and i mean that and they're was, often safe too <laughs> yeah and that was like half and they eat your inputs so you can't even reversal them oh man there were so many people 
people who hated supers back in the super turbo era because uh, they were used to something else. So you have to have some moves that are of a just do it nature, but you have to make sure those moves are properly risk reward balanced. Exactly. So, yes. You can put whatever you want in there as long as you put appropriate risk and reward. Yes. And, and, and keep in well, mind, Capcom is doing sorry. that. To uh, You were going to say? I was just going to say, maybe not whatever you want. Right. I should put an asterisk <laughs> next to that. Because, right. but, but there is, you have a pretty big window of the, of the kind of things you can implement, but you have to keep risk reward in mind. Yes. And you can see hands on proof. I'll just use Yuri in here as an example because we've been talking about him a good bit. It, what he would, what he was in season two was complete and utter bullcrap. And, and it does not take much to look at the character and see he had way too much damage and he was just doing way too much of everything and, and without regard and a number of the system changes came in a number of personal changes for him came in and i think he ended up personally in a very good spot here in season 3.5 i think the character is very fun to play um it seems like most of the people that that want to play him are able to do it i think he's in a good position and so that's where i will give capcom credit like we focus on the things that are not right right like we're not talking mm -hmm. about input lag anymore and like oh that's a problem because it's basically been fixed that's good uh we're moving on to the next things and trying to get better and level up and that's what we need to do again as a community we need to isolate these moves and really talk about the stuff that that's that's wrong it's one thing to say cammy is stupid and broken and blah 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 why are you buffing her all that i get that it's quite another to pinpoint the things that are wrong about the character that are too oppressive and like the alex matchup of all things like what does alex hate about cammy and why does cammy just blow him out of the water uh, and make it not fun uh and, and those are things that that collectively move the needle and Again, Capcom does not know all these matchups. Uh, they've asked for our feedback, collectively the community feedback, on a number of occasions to help balance the game. They continue to do that. The best thing that we can do is to try to channel those things into a more direct message. You guys know how much fodder there is out there. Uh, it's not hard to, to find it all over the place, uh, including on our website. And we can use that help, too, of channeling that message and being more educated and more focused in something that Capcom can use to actually improve these games. Absolutely. I think that we got our point across there, yeah? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I have one more thing because I teased everybody with the sexiest thing that you can do um, in, in the game. This is my own opinion, but I have a couple of other people that I've talked to, the, talked to about this and they have agreed with me it is the sexiest thing you can do while playing at least Street Fighter V, if not fighting games in general, and that is the delayed frame trap. Mm -hmm. If you haven't done this, try it and then have a cigarette afterwards, even if you don't smoke, I don't smoke, but... Yes, it's uh, the, the satisfaction that comes out of the delayed frame trap. It ties right into what we were talking about because in order to do this, it's, this is not really something that um, you're going to naturally want to do. It's something that you have to, at least when you, before you've ever done it before, you have to really do it with intent because it's scary as the aggressor you walk up into your opponent's attack range and you sit there and you're holding forward mm. uh, so you're not even sitting there you're holding forward you are completely open at any time they can throw you they can push a button and the thing is they're there you know you're doing this because you know that they're afraid but you walk up to them and it's not the moment that you're in range of your move that you hit the button because that's what you really want to do because it's scary you delay it by like a full second and then you hit the button and they too have delayed it but they, they know that it's just it's too much and they have to tech that throw that might be coming or they have to just try to jab you and you hit them then 
Oh my gosh. And and the reason why it's so sexy is, like I said, there's so much intent. You decided that you are going to do this particular thing and, and it's evident to everybody that's watching mm-hmm. because you have made yourself vulnerable for, a, in, in fighting game terms, a second is an eternity, yes. right? We talk about frames, man. This is 60 of them mm-hmm. <laughs> or more. And, and it doesn't always work. Sometimes you get hit. Uh, but it's very much a commitment. It's like I'm gonna wait for you to open the door, and I'm completely open to your to anything you want to do in this meantime. Um, but I, I very much it's like you do it once, and you're like, oh man, that was so good. So for Nikali, it's walk up and then hang out for a second, and then do like the medium kick. Um, but I mean, it, every every character has their their delayed frame trap of choice. But do it and and begin to implement that into your game. It's a little bit higher level of a tactic, the delayed frame trap. Oh yeah. But man, it's so satisfying when you do it. Like I said, have your pack of cigarettes ready. Uh, it's it's a good time. So. Um, you know, you got to get all the other basics, the regular frame traps, and then the general back and forth that is, you know, when you're close to to an opponent down before you want to try something like this. But when you get there and, and you begin to implement it into your game plan, man, you really get into your opponent's head because now they're like, oh my gosh, th- this person waited and knows exactly when I wanted to push a button. It, it benefits in a lot of ways, a lot of good risk reward there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to shout him out again because I like to live vicariously through this guy. Uh, we're basically the same person, but that's punk. Um, you know, exactly the same person, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's, he does this at a level that I don't see anyone else do it at. And Karen is very much a specialist in it too. And it's not just the whiff punishing, but that, that, like that five, you know, second shimmy we talk about it. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. five seconds. There's probably, there's probably footage the of him. shimmy. Yeah. There's probably footage of him actually doing it for five seconds. And, and it's just, it's a delayed frame trap that he's doing where he's caught onto your rhythm and timing and he's conditioned you so much that you don't want to do anything. And you're just, you're fearful of your entire life. Your entire life is flashing before your eyes as, as punk dances in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. So if you if you want to see that, like if that's the person who jumps out at me the most. Uh, if you're not capable of doing it yourself, like me, because I just pretty much suck. But anyway, well, you're also Manat, so she's yeah. well. She did there yeah, are no, certain places where she's going to do that kind yeah. of a thing. Um, but also, people might ask, well, when do I want to do this versus not? Mm-hmm. And the answer is when you're trying to frame trap your opponent and they're just consistently blocking you. Yep. The other answer is like. Like the, the quick answer is we'll start throwing them, but the the sexy answer is delay frame trap. Yep, take the throw, take the throw. <laughs> yep. All right. Oh um, my gosh, we brought it full yeah, circle. That's exactly what I was doing there. Yeah. So um, anyway, <laughs> we must uh, end it now. Yes. We must end it. Yeah. We're, Congratulations we're already... to Flying Bison. Yes. Uh, all that stuff. Thank you guys for listening. We love you all. Give us more reviews on iTunes and on Stitcher. Five stars. Uh, that that's it from me. All right, guys. We'll see you again soon.